Today on the Blue Collar Blueprint Podcast, we're going to start the process of tackling the big question. What trade should I be getting into? And I'm going to give you a handful of action steps that you can take head on as you begin to approach this question in your blue collar journey. I'm also going to give you a heads up about a handful of the landmines that are out there laying in wait for you as you begin down this path, which you're obviously going to want to avoid. We're also going to dive into the mailbag because we've got some really great questions in there today and I'm excited to talk about those. And I'm also going to give you a handful of updates on the wild twists and turns that our latest real estate deal has been throwing at us so that you can get a taste of exactly what the real estate world looks like in real life because let me tell you right off the bat it can be a hell of a roller coaster so we're going to get to all of that and much more today my name is jonah wright and it's my job to give you the tools that you need in order to build a full and successful life from the ground up and with your own two hands this is the blue collar blueprint podcast Well, hey, what's going on, guys? Jonah right here with the Blue Collar Blueprint Podcast. Welcome back to the show. As always, so glad to have you here. Uh, recording, of course, from the Shed Quarters, which is still a sweltering sweat box. Unfortunately, we still haven't had the chance to get the AC fixed, but we're working on it. So hopefully in uh, soon future episodes will not feature my dripping wet soaking face and uh, increasingly uh, wet shirt as I go through the episode. But uh, that's neither here nor there. We're, we're here and we're ready to get out some great information for you today. Before we dive into the show, I just wanted to go ahead and take a moment to really shout out to the, you know, roughly 50 or so of you guys who are out there watching the podcast at this point. Uh, you know, we're right around episode number four, number five, somewhere in that neck of the woods. And uh, it's great to have people out there listening. And I just wanted to say thanks. I really, really, truly appreciate you out there. Uh, you're really, you know, sort of the ground floor that this entire podcast is going to be built upon. And that is actually a really cool thing, right? You'll be able to say someday, when this podcast is much bigger and we have a much larger audience that you were part of that original crew of people who are out there watching the show. But here's what we need to keep in mind is that it's super cool to be a part of the original 50 audience members when the audience is big. It's not so cool if it just stays 50 audience members forever, right? So I need your help in order to make sure that you maximize your personal coolness uh, by being able to say that, yes, I was there on the ground floor by helping me grow this sucker. And you can do that by going on wherever you watch or listen to this podcast, subscribing, liking, commenting, leaving a review. All of that stuff is hugely helpful and important to helping the show grow. So if you don't mind doing that, I would certainly appreciate it. And then once again, you can be there on the ground floor and say, I remember back when. That would be cool. Uh, the other thing I was going to suggest is that if you are consuming this podcast uh, via audio only, make sure you also swing over to the YouTube channel because we're going to start putting out some really great content over there as well. Stuff that's not really appropriate for an audio format where we're really going to get into different projects, go and do some field work, get into that nitty gritty stuff that we can really only do in a hands-on type of environment. We're going to make sure that we get that stuff out on YouTube. So make sure you go check out that uh, channel, subscribe, like, and do all that kind of stuff over there as well. And of course, if you're watching the podcast on YouTube already, make sure you go check out some of those other videos and uh, just kind of stay in the loop and make sure you're going along with all the good stuff we have out there. So, all right, let's go ahead and dive right on in to the meat and potatoes section of the show. All right, guys, so today we're going to be taking a look at one of the most important questions that anybody can ask as they begin the process of developing a blue collar blueprint lifestyle, which is what trade should you get into? 
Now, obviously, this is a huge question, right? Because uh, this entire podcast is based around the idea of starting with a blue-collar trade that you can learn and master and then leverage into a solid income and then leverage into passive income and financial freedom to learn, to earn, and to churn. So figuring out what it is that you're going to learn is kind of a big deal. But let me go ahead and point something out that might be pretty obvious right from the get-go. And that is simply that you happen to be you. And I happen to be myself, who happens to be a totally different person than you. Which is a kind of a goofy way of saying that I can't just tell you exactly what trade you want to get into, right? I wish I could. It'd be a lot easier. You call me, I just, you send me an email, you visit us at bluecollarblueprint.com. What trade should I get into? And I just, you know, tell you exactly what you want to do. Obviously, I can't do that, right? Uh, everybody's going to have something that's going to be appropriate to them, things that are going to fit their circumstances, that's going to fit their temperament, and all of those sort of things. So the idea of me trying to tell you exactly what kind of trade you got to get into, it's kind of like me trying to tell you what kind of pants you want to buy. I don't know what kind of pants you need to buy, right? I don't know what pants you need. I don't know what size you need. All I know for sure is that I'm tired of singing your ding dong hanging out every time you're walking down the street. You see what I mean? The bottom line is you need some pants. Well, in the same way, you also really need to get into a trade so that you can get down to the learning and earning and churning and developing all the stuff that we're talking about on this program. So what we're going to do today is dedicate this segment of the show to giving you five action steps that will help you drive towards developing exactly what trade you're ultimately going to land on so that you can continue to further develop your lifestyle uh, in this way. We're also going to do something a little bit different in this segment as well at the end where I'm going to give you three additional anti-action steps which are going to be things that we want you to avoid, things that we don't want you to do even though they might be tricky and fishy and sound like they're good ideas. but. They're not. Okay, so anyway, we're going to do that. We're going to give you five great action steps, and then we'll give you three anti-action steps. So let's go ahead and start right at the start with action step number one, which is to simply disregard the question about what trade you want to get into. Now, that might sound kind of weird coming from a guy who is dedicating an entire portion of my show to answering the question, what trade should you start with? But here's the thing, guys. Although it's super important to pick a trade, Doing it isn't all that hard. It doesn't require a whole lot of thought. In fact, the best way that you can get into a trade is by simply going out there and beginning to experience them, right? You can read all the articles you want. You can talk to anybody you want. But until you go out there and actually try something, you're not going to know what's going to be right for you. You're not going to know what has a good market, what's going to have opportunities to leverage into that solid income that we talk about, and all of that kind of stuff. So my first suggestion is stop thinking about it so much and just go out there and do something, literally anything. I don't care if you actually pick something at random. Just go out into the world and start doing something. Now, the idea here is that you're going to start by doing anything you want and then you're going to take it from there, right? So if you jump into something, let's say you, you go to become a flooring guy. Go try that out for a little while, see what it's about, and then begin to develop your feel. Okay, maybe flooring is good for you. If it is, congratulations, move forward, get into mastery, begin the whole learner and churn process. That's what you want to do. Or maybe you'll be like, you know, flooring isn't so much for me, but I've been on a bunch of job sites and maybe trim carpentry is the way to go. That's great. Then you can transfer over into trim carpentry or into plumbing or electric or HVAC or window installer or, you know, stucco guy or whatever, right? There's so many different things that you can do. 
And that's one of the greatest things about being a blue collar guy, which is that you have the freedom to try all kinds of different things out. It's not like you need a special certificate for each trade. You don't need a special degree. All you have to do is show up, find a company and say, hey, I'd like to go ahead and give this a shot. And if you're a good guy and you can present yourself in a professional manner, you can almost certainly get yourself a job in any trade that you want. And you can try all kinds of different things out until you find the one that's best suited for you. So action step number one is to stop thinking about it so much and get out there and try something. Then we'll go ahead and move directly on to action step number two, which is to get a feel for what's actually out there, right? Like what kind of trades are available to you? Now, this is an important question because there are so many guys who have a really limited sort of perspective on what's out there. They just don't know. And what I would suggest that you do is to start by Googling a list of trades that are required to build a house. Okay, so you, again, your, your search criteria is what trades are required to build a house. And the reason that we want to use those specific search criteria to start with is because the reality of the matter is that if you live somewhere where there are houses and the fact that you live there indicates there are at least some houses because you probably live in one, uh, then there's somebody out there who are building those houses, right? Or repairing those houses or remodeling those houses or doing whatever they have to do to those houses. And so there's going to be this wide, long list of trades that are going to specifically be useful to people who own houses, which is virtually everybody. Okay. Uh, so just to give you a quick list real quick. I'm going to blaze through a fast list of the number of trades that are required to build a super basic house. First up, we got general contractor. We've got demolition people. We've got excavation contractors, foundation and concrete contractors, framing people, door and window installers, electricians, plumbers, HVAC contractors, roofers, drywallers, painters, flooring, finished carpentry, landscaping, cleaning service, pool contractors, insulation contractors, gutters installers. That's just like to name a few, right? I mean, you need people to do the siding and the stucco. And I mean, there's just a ton of stuff that you need in order to build even the most basic house. And the bottom line here is that if you get into a trade that is required to build a house, that means that there's probably going to be demand for that trade no matter where you live and no matter where you're at, right? The bottom line is you can live in a little itty bitty town or a giant city and there will be a market for you if you're in one of the trades that are required to build a house. So just get out there and start to familiarize yourself with what's available so that you can go dive into one and just sort of have your, your wares around you. Because, you know, one thing that I notice a lot is that there are a ton of people who don't know what kind of trades are out in the world. You, you kind of always hear like the same exact ones over and over and over again. All you hear is plumbing, electrician, and welder. Those are like the only trades you ever hear about. But they're obviously I just listed off like 20 different ones. Uh, there are so many different options to choose from, which yet again is another great thing about being a blue collar guy. It's encouraging, it's fun, and it's good that you have so many options to pick from. Because if you don't like one, then you've got like 50 other ones that you can choose from. Try out and see if that will work and be appropriate for you, for your temperament, for your lifestyle, etc., etc., etc. And of course, the, the trades that are required to build a house are only a small portion of blue collar options that are out there because there are a crap ton of other 
trades out in different spaces like the commercial world right all the commercial industry building big commercial buildings and things like that that's like a whole separate world uh, where they have things I've never even heard of before right I need to get more familiarized with what sort of things are available in the commercial trade but of course there's other things there's water type things right related to boats and docks and davits and whatever stuff like that there's airplane stuff there's automobile stuff there's infrastructure stuff guys who build streets and roads and you know line and all kinds of different people, people who work on pipelines, oil rigs, I mean, you name it, there is a ton of stuff that's out there. And it's a really good idea to just get a picture of what is available so that you can understand, you know, and get a better feel for where you want to go and how you want to approach the question about what trade you ultimately want to get into. All right, now what we're gonna do in step number three is go out there and start to look for companies. Now, all we're gonna do in this stage is simply look for companies who perform the kind of work that you might be interested in. So in the last action step you went through, you Googled a list, you got a feel for some different things that are out there and you think, oh yeah, that looks interesting. Hmm, maybe I can do that. Oh, I'd like to learn some of this. Now what you wanna do is go online and start finding companies who do that kind of work. Now. Here's something that we want to be really specific about. You're not going to be looking for, you know, you're not going to go on to ZipRecruiter.com. You're not going to go on to Monster.com and look for companies who are specifically hiring to fill a spot, okay? Um, because the fact of the matter is that all of these companies, virtually all of them, are in need of help. So you don't need to wait for them to ask for somebody to jump on board to be a part of their, their crew or to, to join their company. All you have to do is give them a call and say, hey, uh, Trim Carpenter guy, I see you got great reviews on the, comp on, on the internet. Uh, obviously, you're doing something right. You're running a good business. You're doing great work. I would like to learn. I'm a hungry young buck. I want to go out into the world and become a blue-collar tradesman do you have a spot for me? Would you be willing to give me a job? And I'll tell you what, man, nine times out of 10, if you talk to somebody who's a good company, the answer is going to be heck yes, come on board, right? They want people, they need people. As we've talked about on the show before, the number of jobs that are required to fill the blue collar space are very large. And the number of people who are there to fill them is very small, right? So there's a lot fewer people going after a lot more jobs, which means there's incredible opportunity for guys like you and I who wanna go out there with their heads screwed on right and get out there to learn this stuff and then learn how to leverage it into a solid business, which will give us a great income and then move towards passive income towards financial freedom, which of course is what we're ultimately after. And so while it's a difficult struggle for our economy and for our society at large, it's a great opportunity for guys like you and I who are ready to go out in the world. So familiarize yourself with local companies who do the kind of work that you might be interested in. Give them a call and see if you can get a job with them. All right, and then next up, we're gonna move on to action step number four. And action step number four is to stay long enough at whatever trade you give a try. Okay, now like we talked about earlier, you're not gonna be married to the first trade that you dive into, right? I, I suggested as action step number one, just to get any job you can get. Find something and give it a shot, right? Um, but the beautiful thing about that, of course, is that you can move around. You don't have to stay in that job for a long time. Maybe you don't like the trade, maybe you don't like the company, maybe you don't like the work, whatever, it doesn't really matter. You can move on, 
but you don't want to move on prematurely and you don't want to judge a trade just based on a couple of days of experience in that trade, right? The worst thing you can do is get hired into a company, work there for two or three days and go, yeah, this isn't for me and then leave. That's just not a professional thing to do in the first place. And remember, our goal is to be consummate professionals in everything that we do. But you also won't have enough time to at least get a feel for what that trade has to offer. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, guys, you know, trade work in its very nature is physical, right? So your body isn't going to be used to doing whatever it is that you jump on board to do. If you become an electrician, the tips of your fingers are going to feel like they're going to fly apart, right? They're going to hurt so bad in the beginning until you develop those calluses. You're not going to be used to like moving those freaking wires around all over the place. Or if you were to jump on board with my company, right? You, you go through, you search my company and I give you a job and we're up there working on ceilings all the time. It doesn't matter how much time you spend in the gym, your shoulders are going to be blazing for the first couple of days. Your body has to acclimate to it and literally physically get used to uh, what it feels like to do that trade. And so it would be foolish of you to like sign up with me, work for me for a couple of days, and then say, Jonah, I've got to quit. I can't handle this. My shoulders are going to fall off. I'd be like, dude, your shoulders are going to gain the muscle, right? Give it a couple of days, drink some water, eat some good food. Don't put so much booze in your mouth. You're going to be fine, right? Like just give it a second and you'll build up to it. Now, if you stick around with me for a couple of months, you'll get to see how the business works. You'll get to see what the work is like and all of that kind of stuff, not to mention what kind of incredible opportunity is available doing exactly what I do. Um, and you know, at that point, once you've had a chance to really step back, your body acclimated, you'll get to really see what the business actually is. And then you can make a decision about whether you want to stay or whether you want to go. So the bottom line here and action step number four is I recommend that you try something out and at least stick with that particular trade for two months. Give it a minimum of two months. Remember, you're going to be at the bottom of the ladder, right? I mean, you're going to get all the crap jobs. It's, it's just the way that it works, man. Like, if you're starting out, you don't know what you're doing, our, we're paying you money, we need this stuff done. We need th people to clean stuff up. We need people to do the grunt work. And that's what you're going to be doing when you're getting started. So, you know, the grunt work sucks. That's, that's why we're giving it to you, right? Because we don't want to do it. We've got other things that we need to do in order to create value. Um, but that's not what the entire job entails, okay? So understand that once you've done it for a couple of months, yeah, you'll do a lot of grunt work in the beginning, and yeah, you're not going to get paid a lot and all of this kind of stuff. It all comes with the territory. It's part of being new. Accept that. Understand that. Uh, but move forward and stick around for a couple of months to actually properly judge your trade. And then finally, we've got action step number five which is to start planning on how to take over the business that you get into from day one. Okay, your goal from the second that you start working for a company, and again, it doesn't matter what company it is, your goal should be to walk in there with in your mind the question, how can I become a superstar in this trade, right? Not necessarily in this company, not necessarily uh, in any particular way other than what do I have to do in order to become wildly successful at this trade? So let's say that you become a, a door installer, okay, and you're running around and you're installing doors all day, slide and front doors and whatever this and that you should be looking around going like okay what do I have to do to make a thousand dollars a day in the door installing business oh people the average charge to install a door is three hundred and fifty dollars to install a single door could I do three of those a day yeah I think I could 
how can I move in that direction, right? So your, your goal is to be thinking about like, how can I take over the world with this trade from the second that you walk in the door? Now, obviously your goal is to learn that trade as best as possible, to get towards mastery, to figure out exactly what's going on, to know what to do, to know how to handle situations. Um, but you're also figuring out like, okay, what do I have to do to run a successful business? What do I have to do in order to generate business? How do these people get these calls? If I need to do three door installs a day, how do I get those leads? Okay, this is how we do it. Ah, I see. And then you're looking around. You're looking for the best guys who do the best job. Like, oh, this is how this guy does it. He does it fast. He does it efficiently. This is this is his system. Let me take what he's doing, and I'm going to absorb that into what I'm doing. Oh, I see this guy over here. He's kind of slow. He's got a bad attitude. He's never going to go anywhere. Yeah, we're going to leave that stuff off to the side. Oh, maybe he does have a good trick. Let me steal that. I'll put that in my back pocket, and we can use that as we need it. But the bottom line here, guys, is that step number five is to just walk in there with the mindset. How can you be wildly successful in that trade from the get go? And if you're asking yourself, what do I have to do to kick butt and take names in this trade? Guess what? You'll get answers. It's really amazing how it works. You ask a question, you will get answers. And if you start asking the question sooner, you're going to have more to work with. And that's a great thing even if you decide that's not the trade that you're going to ultimately pursue in the long run, right? So uh, one of the great things about trades is that all of these skills that you're going to be picking up as you try different things out, or if you're going from one company to another, or as you go to different levels, depending on what you're doing and how it's going down, one of the beautiful things is that all of these skills are transferable, right? They go one across to the other. So if you try doing some door installs and you decide, eh, this isn't for me, and then you move over to become a framer, well, a lot of the same skill sets are going to translate right over into framing. And if you don't want to be a framer and you want to be a drywaller, a lot of those same skills are going to translate. So you're going to be lifting yourself up little step by step, right? You're still going to be working your way up the ladder, even if you don't have explicit skills skills in a particular trade, uh, but you will have a, a, a basic sort of general skill set, which will be able to take with you into the next trade. And that's the goal, right? Learn as much as possible. Be the guy who can do everything and do it efficiently, do it well, uh, knowledgeably. If you can be that guy, you'll be unstoppable. And that's really incredible. So those guys are our five action steps, which are going to help get you moving in the direction of figuring out exactly what trade you want to invest your time in. You're going to start off by not thinking about it too much. Just go out there and start doing something, generate experience, see what's going on, and then make wise decisions from there. Step number two is to get familiar with what kind of trades are available out in the marketplace, right? And I would suggest that you Google a list of trades that are required to build a house because those trades will be available around you. Action step number three is to simply find companies who do the kind of work that you might be interested in and then give them a call and see if you can get a job. And then step number four is to stay at that trade long enough to make a proper assessment of that trade. Make sure you don't dip out too too soon, right? You want to make sure that you can get acclimated in your body, get a feel for what that trade has to offer. And then if you decide you want to move on, you can do that, but give it at least two months before you do. And step number five is to go in there with the mindset that you are going to take over the world with that trade and ask yourself, what do I have to do in order to become a super superstar at this trade. If you ask that question, you will receive great answers. And those five action steps will help drive you in the direction of picking the perfect trade that will be best suited for you and for your financial future. And that's a very good thing. All right. So now what we're going to do is we're going to transition over into three 
anti-action steps, right? And anti-action steps are exactly what they sound like. They are things that I suggest that you avoid, right? These are the landmines that you're going to find on the path as you're walking down the road trying to figure out how you're going to go and pursue your blue-collar blueprint lifestyle. Uh, so the reason I wanted to bring these up is because these three pieces of advice and, and sort of things that are out there in the world are things that you're going to be presented with as you begin to ask the question, what trade should you get into? Um, and they're sort of elusive because they sound like good advice if you don't know what you're talking about, right? Uh, so the, the bottom line is, is that these three anti-action steps are things that might sound like great advice at first pass, but in fact are not, okay? So take it for what it is. Let's go ahead and start with anti-action step number one, which is basing your opinion based on things that you read on the internet. Here's what I mean, right? This is something that we've all done, I'm sure. You go on Google and you say, hmm, I wonder how much a plumber makes. How much does a plumber make, right? Click, 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 click. And then an article pops up and it says, the average plumber makes $50,000 per year. You go, hmm, okay, yeah, that's interesting. How much does the average uh, finished carpenter make? The average, you know, and so on and so forth. And what you're going to do if you look at articles like that, or if you're asking a question like that into Google, is you're going to get a bunch of websites that will have all kinds of articles that will give you the average wage for the average average blue collar worker in whatever trade you're looking for. So to give you a quick example, uh, if you ask Google what the average income for a drywall finisher is, which is my trade, if you didn't already know, uh, they will tell you, according to a, a, an article that I found on ZipRecruiter, it will tell you that the average income for a drywall finisher is $34,000 a year. $34,000 a year. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I can do that in like a really good month. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's not reflective of the reality that I live. And this is sort of my point guys. It's not that the, the articles are going to tell you bad information. What they're going to do is they're going to aggregate the average income that people are earning in that particular trade across the board. But here's the deal. We're not interested in being average, right? We have no interest in doing the average income. We only care about what the potential income is. How much value can we add to the marketplace with this trade? So it's probably true that in fact, the average drywall guy makes $34,000 a year, whereas I make $1,000 every single day that I go out into my trade, which means that if I were to work a normal full work, work schedule 50 weeks a year, which is with two weeks of vacation, I would make two hundred fifty thousand dollars per year it's really all not all that hard to do if you do it in the way that we talk about on the show if you learn how to leverage your skill set into a solid income which of course is our goal that has nothing to do with being average right uh, being average is just kind of going with the flow and doing what everybody does that's not us we're not interested in that so make sure that you're not relying on you know sort of income aggregate websites that are going to tell you about, oh, this guy makes this much. And then you think, oh, well, I, I've got to be a welder. Or I've got to be a plumber because those are the only ones that will make, you know, 40, 50, $60 an hour. It's like, yeah, well, that's just not the case. That doesn't reflect reality. Again, our goal is can you create enough value in your marketplace in order to make the kind of income that you need to make in order to do what we're talking about doing on this show? All right. Anti-action step number two is kind of a two-part anti-action step, and that is taking advice from people who are outside of the trades or taking advice from people who are in the trades 
but who aren't particularly successful at it. Okay, um, so let me start this little segment off by saying that I'm not trying to down talk anybody. Okay, the bottom line is if somebody's trying to give you advice, that means that they're trying to help you out, right? They're looking for you. They, they're trying to watch your back. They're trying to push you in the right direction, or at least what they believe or perceive to be the right direction. Um, so let me just go ahead and start that way. Nobody's out there trying to get you. The problem is, is that uh, these people don't necessarily have the best advice most of the time. Okay, so let's talk about that real quick. Let's talk first off about taking advice from people who are outside of the trades. Now you see this all the time and it all again it comes from a really good place. You hear somebody say like, you know what, not everybody's supposed to go to college. It's better to go to trade school and become a welder than to go to then go to college and get a literature degree. Now, they're probably right, okay, just on a on a purely average basis. That's almost certainly true. The problem is is that when they say something like that, they're not speaking from a place of abundance, which is where we're trying to approach things, right? You and I are walking into the trade world uh, with a blue collar blueprint lens over our eyes. We're looking around trying to figure out how can we take over the world and create financial freedom with our trade. But that's not what most people are thinking about when they're approaching the trades or when they're advising other people to approach the trade, right? Um, most of the time when somebody's suggesting to you, yeah, go to trade school and be a welder, what they're saying is that well, one time I heard that welders can make 40 or 50 or $60 an hour, and that sounds like a really good wage, and you should go do that instead of going to college and doing this other stuff. And again, that's not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing. Making 60 bucks an hour is perfectly fine. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that making $60 an hour is like $80,000 a year. It's maybe four or $500 a day. That's not that's like not even half of what we're trying to do, right? That's a totally different world. That's sort of the the normal way that most normal people sort of approach the blue collar world, and that doesn't produce the kind of results that you and I are after. So keep in mind when you're taking advice from people who haven't done what we're talking about doing in their actual lives, right? Whether they're inside the trades or outside, they're not thinking about it in the way that we are thinking about things, right? They're not thinking about or even aware that blue collar guys like you and I can make $1,000 a day. And then if they did have $1,000 a day, they wouldn't know how to transition that into passive income, which will lead them ultimately into financial freedom. If they did, they would be talking from a place of experience. And I would be saying, listen to everything that guy has to say and follow his advice because we want to do what the successful people have done, not what people perceive to be the right way. So again, not to say anything bad about anybody trying to help you out. They're, they're trying to watch your back and that's all great. But unless they have lived it, unless they know exactly what they're talking about, unless they're talking in the same way that you and I are talking, eh, maybe you probably shouldn't be taking advice from them. It's kind of like asking directions from a guy that's lost, right? He doesn't know where he's going either, right? So how is he going to get you where it is that you're trying to go? If you see what I'm saying. Let's go ahead and move on to the second part of this question, which is taking advice from people who are actually in the trades, you know, maybe a 40, 50, 60 year old guy who's been in a trade his entire life and who wants to give you advice. And now let's be honest, we've probably all talked to this guy and that guy almost inevitably says, don't get into the trades. You're never going to make any money. It's not what they say, right? You're going to become 40, 50, 60 years old. Your back is going to be hurt and you're going to be broke. Well, that's probably true if you take the advice that they have to offer you, right? Um, if you do what that guy did, yeah, probably true, right? You're not going to make a whole lot of money. You're definitely going to get worn down physically, uh, and it's not going to end out to be the, the kind of financial freedom and, and uh, prosperity that you and I are looking at getting, okay? Uh, so we have to be really, really careful when we're talking to people who are 
who are not particularly successful in their trades because again, they're talking from a totally different perspective. They're talking as somebody who expects that you are going to do what they did, but we're not interested in doing what they did, right? We're only interested in doing what is necessary in order to use our trade as a tool to get us where we're ultimately trying to go, which is to build financial freedom, okay? That's, that's really our intent. So we have to be careful not to take advice from people who haven't done that in their lives because they either don't know how to do it or they did know, but they weren't willing to do what it takes in order to get themselves into that position. And that's an unfortunate thing. Now, again, I'm not trying to say anything bad about anybody who's in this position, because oftentimes the guys we're talking about right here are the people who make the world go round, right? Like these are the guys, these are the, you know, nose to the grindstone, harder working, hardest working son of a gun you're ever going to meet in your life. It's not that they're bad people. It's not that they did something wrong. It's just that they're not telling you how to do what I'm suggesting that you can do. A lot of these guys might be like, that guy's crazy. There's no way that you can make $1,000 a day in whatever trade he's in. Um, and I can almost assure you that that's nonsense. Ask his boss, the guy who owns the company that he works for, I can almost guarantee you that guy's earning this kind of money. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Is that it's not that it's impossible to do it, it's that he didn't do it or he didn't know how to do it and therefore he thinks that you're gonna do the same thing that he did. Don't do that, right? Don't do that. I've got a little illustration I was thinking about. Let's say you're driving down the road, right? You're driving on a big mountain road in West Virginia or something, and then you, you come up to this little one-lane strip on the side of a mountain, and there's a big-ass boulder standing in the middle of the way, and you got to get this boulder out of the street. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you can try to move this boulder, right? You can move up to it, you can try and, like, shake it, you can try and, like, push it and pull it. You can give it a big ass bear hug and try and like physically move it out of the way and push it down the mountain so you can go across your way. Um, or maybe you can go find a big stick and like use it as a lever and tilt that sucker until it rolls its way out of the street and you go along about wherever it is that you're trying to go. My bottom, the point of this story is that these guys who have been doing trades for a long time who haven't become particularly successful, what they have done is they drove up to this street, they saw the big boulder, they got out of their car, and they've been bear hugging it for 40 years, right? And they're going, don't do this, right? Your back will hurt. It's not going to budge this thing. No matter how hard you try, you're never going to be able to get where you're trying to go. But that's not true, right? It's not true to say that that boulder can't be moved. It is true to say that trying to give it the big ass bear hug and moving it that way isn't going to get you where you want to go. That's true. Don't do that. That is, in fact, terrible advice. Don't go that route. Go a different route. Look around and say, oh, here's another guy who's in your trade who didn't try to bear hug it his entire life. He got the stick. He got the lever. He moved that thing out of the way, and now he's at the top of the mountain. That's the advice that you want to be taking, not the bear hug advice. You see what I'm saying? Um, so again, nothing, to, nothing against anybody here. I'm just saying make sure you're taking advice from people who have been there and done that and who are moving in the direction or have already gone the path that you are looking to go. All right. And finally, uh, anti-action step number three. And I can already hear the gasps and the shock and the awe through the microphone <laughs> before I even say this. But bear with me here because what I'm about to say might sound like heresy to a lot of you out there. But hear out my entire little segment here before you judge what I've got to say and hang in there. And so here it goes. Anti-action step number three is do not start your blue-collar journey by going to trade school. The operative word here, guys, is don't start your journey by going to trade school. Let me once again say from the get-go, I have nothing, 
nothing against trade school. I think trade school is an incredible resource and an incredible tool if it is being used in a way to help somebody pursue a career and a trade and a job that they that they will be able to leverage into high income and then learn and return and do all that stuff with, okay? So there's nothing against trade school. In the same way that I also have nothing against going to university or going to college. If you're utilizing it as a tool in order to achieve a particular end. Now, if you're watching this show and if you bought into the blue collar blueprint, your end is to learn a trade so that you can earn a great income and create financial freedom. That is your path, right? Learn, earn, and churn. That's what you're trying to do. And trade school might be helpful to you if it is necessary in order to get certificates, if it's necessary to get your foot into a door, um, if it's necessary to do whatever you have to do in order to go from the learn category into the earn category. So again, there's nothing wrong with trade school. My problem is when people suggest that you start your blue collar journey by going to trade school, meaning you go to school before you actually ever go to work. As far as I'm concerned, that's kind of like marrying a girl you've never even gone on a date on, right? That doesn't make any damn sense. You gotta go on a couple of dates at least before you decide if you like her enough to hit your wagon to her for the rest of your life. You see what I'm saying? And trade school kinda is like that, right? You go to trade school, you might spend one, two, three, four years of your life and God knows how much money and all kinds of energy and effort and time learning a trade that you've never even tried that sounds crazy to me, right? So what I would suggest that you do is go out into the marketplace, follow action step number one, like we talked about earlier, and get into a trade and decide what trade you want to ultimately go with for the, you know, that you're gonna invest your time into. And then after you've gotten into the trade, you've experienced it, you've looked around, you said, yes, this is where I'm gonna be successful in the blue collar blueprint pathway and all of this sort of thing. Then if it's necessary to go to trade school to get a license or to get a certificate or to move to the next step, or to get into a bigger company or whatever you have to do, then great, go to trade school and utilize it as a tool in that way. But I would not suggest that you just decide, I'm gonna be a, uh, an HVAC guy and therefore I'm gonna go into trade school. Well, dude, you might go to trade school for 9, 10, 20 months, whatever it is, and then come out the other side and find out you don't like being an HVAC guy. In fact, you, you would much rather be a drywaller. And I don't even think they have trade school for drywall guys. I mean, maybe they do. Don't shoot me right? if they don't. But all I'm saying is I'm certainly not going to ask you if you have a certificate. I just need to know, do you know how to use a knife and pan? If you don't know how to use a knife and pan, are you the type of person who can bust ass and learn? Okay, great. Come on board. I'll, I'll pay you a bunch of money. Let's get this thing going. You see what I'm saying? Um, so... And another thing that we do have to kind of dismiss here is that a lot of people assume right from the get-go that you have to have trade school experience before you're able to get certain jobs. And I'm sure that that's certainly true in some areas, right? Like you may not be able to jump onto being a lineman or something like that uh, without having a certain certificate behind you in the first place. But if that's the path that you want to look at, maybe you should just go be a residential electrician for a while and at least get a feel for what the world is like, right? I know it's a totally different thing, so I don't need any bad mail as a result of this. But my point is, is at least go and try it out before you go dedicating your time. So again, anti-action step number three is to avoid starting your blue-collar journey with trade school. Figure out what trade you want to do first and then do whatever you have to do in order to be successful in that trade. If it involves trade school at that point, wonderful. Go take it. I support you. If not, maybe not such a good idea. All right. So there we have it, guys. Three anti-action steps. Don't take advice from things that you read on the Internet. They're talking to you about the 
average incomes. Who cares about the average incomes? That's not what we're interested in. You and I are not trying to be average. We're trying to excel. We're trying to exceed the limits, right? We're trying to blow our financial life up the mountain. We're not trying to do the average thing. So don't base your opinion based on things that you read on the internet. Number two is don't take advice from people who are outside of the trades and don't take advice from people who are in the trades but who aren't particularly successful at it, right? Try to only take advice from people who know what they're actually talking about and who know how to get you where you're trying to go, which is to learn, earn, and churn and to work the blue collar blueprint system as a whole. And then finally, don't start your blue collar journey by going to trade school. Jump into the workforce, learn some stuff, figure out what you wanna do, and then go to trade school if it's necessary. If it's not, that's great too. Bottom line is just get in there, start learning and start doing whatever you got to do in order to transition yourself into that solid income so that you can transition yourself into that passive income through great investments and move you in the direction of financial freedom. And that, my friends, is our practical applications section of the show. And hopefully that will help drive you in the direction of figuring out what trade you will ultimately get into and utilize as an incredible tool to build the life you have always dreamed of. All right, dude, so let's go ahead and dive right on into the mailbag and let's take a look at what we've got. I've got a really great question here to start us off. This question comes from Zach. And Zach says, what advice can you give to an active duty military member overseas regarding investment strategies and property management? And is this time commitment too much to begin the journey of investing in real estate portfolio while I'm already working 50 to 60 hours a week? First off, Zach, thanks for your service, dude. What's up? Motivate, hoorah, all that kind of stuff. That's that's awesome. I, I love to hear that. I think military is a great way for a lot of guys to get started. Before I answer your question, I just want to let you know, like the very first handful of real estate deals I ever did, I did with one of my very best friends who spent like six years overseas in the Marine Corps. And as a result of his overseas service, he was able to stash up a big fat pile of money, which we were able to utilize here stateside once he got out of the Marine Corps. And that was the first money that we started using in order to build the investment portfolio that we now sit upon. So this is a very exciting thing for you to do and it's a great resource. So if you're somebody who's always wanted to serve your country and you wanted to go out there and, and just experience what it's like to be in the military, I obviously support this. I spent six years in the Marine Corps reserve. Uh, Zach is out there kicking butt, taking names overseas, doing whatever he's doing. Uh, I can't encourage you to do it enough because it can be an incredible opportunity for you to put away a lot of money and to garner yourself some great resources, connections, and just generally doing a, a great and important thing for the world and for your country. So that, that's what's up. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, dive into your question. I want to answer the second part of your question first. Is it too much of a time commitment? No, definitely not, right? Um, you can definitely start your real estate portfolio right now. And in fact, I would encourage you to begin this moment if you're in a position to do so, okay? There's an old saying in real estate, which is that the best time to buy a piece of real estate was 10 years ago. And the next best time to buy a piece of real estate is right now. And this is true, okay? You don't have time not to get started, right? Um, now, of course, if you don't, that's okay. You will survive. You'll, this, this will still be right now, and it'll still be the second best time to buy a piece of real estate. So you can always get started no matter where you are. Uh, you know, uh, and your chronological journey in life. But if you can get started right now, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, how are we going to do that if you're overseas? You're working a ton, you're not available. Uh, well, 
you're probably not going to go out there by doing some giant remodel project, right? You're probably not going to be flipping property. You're not going to go taking a dump and turn it into a beautiful, uh, you know, Taj Mahal or anything like that. That's probably not the way that I would suggest that you move forward right now since you're just getting started. Now, if you had one hell of a team in place already, you had a rock solid realtor that you knew was going to get you into great investment. You had a great contractor and a great, uh, you know, uh, uh, financing guy and, and people who can be the boots on the ground and make decisions for you and just totally, you know, just let them do their business. If you were in that situation, that'd be great, but you're just getting started. So I'm going to assume you're not there. So we're going to kind of leave the giant remodel stuff off to the side and we're going to focus instead on turnkey investments. Turnkey investments basically means buying a piece of property that is already going to be ready to cash flow the moment that you start your process in that, you know, the day you get your keys at closing, then you begin to make money the next day. That's our goal, right? No giant remodels, nothing crazy. Maybe you have to put a new roof on there. Maybe you got to have the carpet changed out or a fresh coat of paint, like little stuff like that. That's no big deal, but you don't want to have to do a giant gut job. You know, you don't want to like strip the thing down to the studs and start over again. That's probably not a good idea in your circumstance. So we're going to focus first and foremost on turnkey investments. What kind of investments are we looking for? Well, the very first thing I would suggest that you do is buy yourself a house, a primary residence is what we call it, okay? Um, and the reason I say this is, is a number of different things. First off, you have to live somewhere, right? Um, ultimately, when you come back home from overseas, you gotta go someplace. So you can either go rent somewhere, you can continue to live in the barracks, Neither of those ideas are particularly great if you're not required to do those things. You're much better to go into a home that you own so that you're not paying some other guy rent. You're not throwing money down the tubes. You can go out in the world. You can collect your BAH, right? Your, your housing allowance, uh, hopefully, if you're in that circumstance. And you can start to invest uh, simply by owning a piece of property for yourself. So that's the first thing you want to do is focus on buying yourself a piece of property. Now, there are some ways that you can really do this to exponentially move yourself forward in your investment portfolio by buying your own primary residence because as I'm sure you know as a military member you have access to a program called the VA loan the Veterans Administration loan um, now this is a loan that's specifically available to active duty and to veteran status military members and it will allow you to buy a house with a zero percent down payment this is a crazy thing, okay? Uh, the idea of buying a piece of property with no money down in a traditional manner, you literally call up a broker, he say, hey, I want to get a VA loan, he runs the numbers, he says, okay, you can buy this much money or this much house, and you don't need to come to the table with any down payment. That's crazy. So that's an incredible way to get started in your financial journey by buying yourself a primary residence. Now, here's the thing with VA is that you have to buy a house that you will ultimately be living in. You have to agree to be living into this house uh, when you get the financing for it. So it has to be your primary residence but they do allow you to buy anywhere from a one all the way up to a four unit dwelling with this one VA loan, meaning you could buy a single family house or you can buy a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex with that one loan. So basically you can have one loan with up to four different rental units in that particular property. 
that is the way to do it, right? Um, this will get you in a situation where not only have you established a place for you to go back home to when you come back stateside, uh, but you will also have somebody else, if you buy a quadplex, you would have three other units that you can rent out and that those people's rent will cover the mortgage for the entire building and you can now live there for free, right? You don't have to pay a mortgage anymore because you've got these other folks who are out there paying your mortgage for you. You can also do this with a duplex. My brother did this, the very first house he ever bought. He bought a duplex, he lived in one side of it, and he rented out the other side. The rent from that other side covered the entire mortgage payment. He was living for free. Now, he was smart, and this is something else that you can do. He had a three-bedroom duplex that he was living in. He lived in one bedroom, and he rented two of the bedrooms out to his buddies. So he was having people on this side of the building paying for his entire mortgage and then he was making money with the two bedrooms that he was renting in his own unit so guys you can do this too right I cannot stress this enough. You've got to get yourself a property that has multiple units if you can, right? Um, now, this is not always available in your area. If, you, if you're stationed in a particularly like high value area, this may be harder, and that's okay. If that's the case and you can only afford a single family home, that's fine too, but get one with as many bedrooms as possible. If you're not married, if you have the flexibility, if you have the freedom to be able to rent out those other rooms, then you should do it. The bottom line is you wanna buy a piece of property for for yourself in a way that will allow other people to pay your mortgage for you. That will make you an investor as opposed to just a homeowner. Now, there's nothing wrong with being just a homeowner. Buying a piece of real estate is great. It will appreciate in value over the course of time. There are incredible tax advantages to buying a house, meaning if you live in the house for two years, you don't have to pay any tax on the gain if it is appreciated value, meaning if you sell it for more money than you bought it for after you've lived into it for two years, tax-free money. This is a big, big, big deal. Um, but if you can get into a situation where you are cash flowing on your own house with the very first property that you ever buy, that is an incredible way to get started in your real estate portfolio. Uh, and then real quick, because I got to move on to this next question, but how do you deal with management? The answer is no matter what your situation is, hire a management company. You can find a, a real estate agent, you can find a rental real uh, manager locally, virtually anywhere in the country. Um, and oftentimes they'll charge you like 10 or 15% of collected rent, meaning if your rent is $1,000, they'll charge you 100 bucks to manage this piece of property for you. Now, that might sound like a lot of money, but at the end of the day, I have found that I actually make more money by hiring a management company to manage my properties for me because A, I can be out in the world like doing drywall, making a grand a day. I don't have to worry about chasing people around for rent. I don't have to worry about finding and vetting new tenants. I don't have to fix leaky toilets. I don't have to answer all these problems because the management company takes all of that off of my plate and leaves my time free and available to do what I do, which is find other real estate opportunities and do whatever I got to do, drywall stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Just get yourself a good solid management company. It's like finding, you know, finding a company to do anything else. You look at the reviews, you talk to the people. If you like it, give them a shot. If you don't like them, fire them. Find somebody else. Not that big a deal. So uh, you can definitely do this. Focus on turnkey investments. Focus on the rentals. Get yourself a primary residence first. If it's a situation where you can utilize a VA loan and get into that sucker with no money down, ooh, you should do it because that's a great way to get started, man. Um, and then, of course, 
so what? You know, I know in the military it's tough because you, you might only live somewhere for a year or two years and then you got to move. That's okay. You never have to sell this place, right? If it's cash flowing, if you can buy this place, you get it cash flowing, that's great. Just keep it for the rest of your life. You can Your management company's going to be taking care of it anyway, so you can go move off onto your next duty station or you can get out of the military and move wherever you move after that and keep that place until you die, right? That's a great thing. Allow it to appreciate value and maybe you'd sell it someday to leverage it into a, a bigger property or whatever you got to do but the bottom line is get out there and get yourself a cash flowing investment and do it immediately that's my recommendation I hope that helps you out Zach all right uh, right up next we've got Drew who says I hate my trade what should I do uh, get a different tr get a different trade I mean what kind of question is this man like I don't even know what to say like if you hate your trade go do a different trade okay i mean uh, I, 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 <laughs> I don't know enough information to like really like sink my teeth into this thing uh but i guess looking at it i have a couple of different thoughts first off i understand there are just certain things that just don't jive with certain people for me personally i hate painting I would do so many, I would, I think I would literally rather be an actual ditch digger than be a professional painter. For real. I mean, there are a lot of things I would do before I became a, a painter. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just hate painting. I hate it. It drives me crazy. I'm good at it, which also sucks because it's not that hard, you know, uh, but there's something about it that just makes me totally bonkers. I do not like painting. So I sympathize with the idea that if you are like me and you hate painting and you happen to be a painter, eh, I get it, dude. Get out of there and go do something else. I mean, what, what else are you going to do? Um, now, understand that it's important to not hate your trade, right? You don't want to hate your work or whatever it is that you do. But on the other hand, I personally don't think that you have to be like in love with whatever it is that you do. I, I don't understand this idea of like, oh no, I, I have to be, I have to be doing my passion. It's like, you know, dude, I mean, look, if you can do your passion and make money at it, then that's great. But honestly, you know, I think your passion ought to be building financial freedom, of taking care of your family, of doing, you know, fulfilling your duties and responsibilities as a man, right? As an American, as doing whatever you got to do in order to go out there and kick butt and take names and become a successful human being. That's what I think your passion should be. You think I'm passionate about drywall? No, okay? Now, I don't hate drywall. I get along with drywall just fine, but I'm not going to do it like on my time off. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's not my thing. Uh, so, you know, your, your focus should be to at least get along with your trade, to get along with whatever it is that you do, um, but certainly try not to hate it if you can. And the other thing that I kind of thought about when I was reading this is I was like, I wonder if this is one of those kind of guys who just hates work, period, right? If that's you... You need to get over that, dude. Like, working is a part of life. You don't want to go through... The, you're, you're going to be working no matter what, right? Unless you're going to be a total bum, like, laying on the side of the street and, and, and doing whatever they do. Uh, and I'm assuming you wouldn't be watching the show if that was you, right? So, if you are somebody who hates work, you need to work on making sure that you get yourself properly ordered. Because a properly ordered man uh, accepts work as a duty. And you begin to like and, and, and enjoy doing your duty, right? Even if you don't love the idea of the work, at least get along with it and that's okay. Don't be the kind of person who hates work. Nobody likes that guy. Ugh, it's just kind of yucky. So, anyway, there's our mailbag for today. I hope that helps you out, Drew. Get a different trade. Easy enough. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and dive into the final segment of the show today, which is where we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on in our uh, personal investment life and blue-collar journey. 
So this last week was a wild ride. Uh, now, the last time that we sat here and talked in the shed quarters, uh, I told you this incredible story about how I negotiated this wonderful real estate opportunity. We did this whole back and forth. I showed you how to do the math and we put this whole thing together. Uh, the, the title of the episode is How to Make 50K in 30 Days, uh, which is basically showing you how to negotiate a flip opportunity to recognize one, do the math, figure it out, and put it together, negotiate a deal. Well, uh, this was all fine and dandy uh, until we got a inspection back. So I, I, one thing I didn't mention on the, sh on the show last time, I don't think, was that I did put one stipulation into our contract. And a stipulation is basically a way out, right? It's like saying like, hey, we have to do these inspections and if they don't come back the way that we like it, then we have to renegotiate or we need to back out of the deal. Well, I put one of those in and I put it in for the septic tank because I'm not a septic tank guy. I don't do a whole lot of stuff with septic tanks or not super common where I live and so I don't have a huge amount of familiarity with them so I said we need to get this thing inspected before I can move forward with this project and they said okay that's no problem so I get the inspector to go out there and of course I get the phone call guess what not only is your septic tank totally shot but the entire drain field also is totally boogered and the whole thing needs to get torn out and replaced this is a big deal, okay? This is like between fifteen dollars and $30,000 of additional stuff that we weren't planning on when we originally negotiated this deal. Now, I was like, oh man, I can look at my budget and I can kind of move some numbers around here and there, but I'm not going to be able to come up with an additional fifteen or thirty grand. No way, right? So I call up Sharon, who is the person I negotiated this whole deal with, and I'm like, hey, Sharon, what's going on? Uh, I got some bad news. I just sent you an email of the septic report. But the bottom line is the thing needs to get replaced and we need to do something about this price. And she was like, well, I'm really sorry to hear that, but I talked to my family and we decided we just can't go any lower than the price that we already agreed on, which was 240000 if you hadn't seen the episode. And I was like, wow, I, I mean, I understand, of course, you know, I mean, it's your guys' house and I, I totally respect that. Uh, you can't come off that price. You can't come off your price. So I was like, well... Okay, you know, it is what it is. Let me go ahead and do a little bit of research. Let me talk to my wife. Let me see what we can do. We'll get back to you in the next couple of days. She says, okay, great. So we're looking at the numbers, and of course, like I say, how are you going to come up with an additional 15 grand? We're trying to figure out, eh, what if we did this instead of this? We're thinking, yeah, it's not really going to meet what we need. There's just no way we're going to be able to make up this difference. So we're like, okay, well, I guess uh, we're just going to have to back out of this deal. So we send her an email, and we're basically like, hey, Sharon and the rest of the heirs uh, who own the house said, look, you know, unfortunately, we didn't expect this to happen. We're sad that this is the case, uh, but we're going to have to do one of, two th one of three things, frankly. Number one is we either have to back out of the deal. Uh, which none of us want, right? You guys want to sell the house and we want to buy it. So that doesn't sound like a great opportunity. Number two is I can assign this contract to somebody else, which would basically mean that instead of me buying the house, I would find another investor who would be willing to buy it for slightly more than what I was originally under contract for. So like I said, we had this thing locked down under contract for $240,000. So the idea with assigning a contract would be that, let's say I were to go out to an investor club and I was like, hey, my name is Jonah. I've got this opportunity. Uh, I can sell it to you right now for $260,000. Well, if somebody was willing to pay me $260,000 for this house, then we can assign this contract over uh, to this person. My original, you know, Sharon and the rest of the heirs would get the exact same money that they had already already planned. Everything would be the same on their end. The only difference would be that 
the other guy would end up buying the house instead of me. Now, we would still be committed to the closing date that we originally set. They would still have our deposit in escrow. Uh, so there was really no risk to them at all. Um, and of course, we expected that's probably what they're going to do. They're thinking, yeah, you know, this way we'll get our 240 and everything will be fine. Who, what, what do we really care who buys the house? Um, that was my expectation anyway. So I said, we can either in the email, I'm saying we can either walk away from the deal or I can assign the contract or you can come down by $12,000, uh, you know, and kind of share the expense with me a little bit and we'll close in two weeks if you want me to buy the house. So we're thinking, of course, they're going to want to, they're going to want to take the assignability option because they'll get the same thing that we had originally agreed to. And they already told me they don't want to come off the price. Well, like 15 minutes later, we get an email coming back saying, you know what? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and take the 12,000 off the price. We want you guys to buy it. Let's close. Let's just go ahead and do this deal. We were like totally mind blown. I, I really did not think we we're going to be able to make this deal happen at this point because they were so explicit. We're not going to lower the price. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Uh, but my big takeaway here and what I want you to understand about this is that first off, no real estate deal is done until, as Alec Baldwin once said in the movie Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, it's not done until they have signed on the line that is dotted, right? Like, don't count your chickens until those suckers have hatched, all right? No deal is done until you walk away from closing with keys in your hand. So that's the first thing to know. The second thing to know is that you always, always, 100% of the time, ask people uh, instead of just assuming that they're going to say no. They already told me they weren't going to lower the price. And I honestly, to be perfectly honest to you here, I almost considered not even asking them to lower the price because I was like, they already told me no. But I was like, you know what, just in case we're going to throw it in there. And lo and behold, they decided, you know what, yeah, we just want to go ahead and get it done. You can close a little bit quicker. Uh, and we like we liked you, right? The bottom line is they liked me. They, they said, you know what? We want you to have my mom's house. We want you to do what you do. They had looked at the website. They knew what kind of things I do. They knew what I was capable of. They wanted their mom's house to have the respect that it deserved. And they knew that I was going to be able to do that for them. And so they decided, you know what? It's worth it to us. Let's just get this over with. You take it and do what you do with it. So that's where we are right now. The deal has somehow, despite the twists and turns and all the crazy stuff, uh, has come together. And we've sent out a, a addendum to the contract we lowered the price now to two hundred and twenty eight thousand uh, dollars we had to shift around a couple of things to make up for a few thousand bucks that it'll cost us to get this septic replaced but of course that's going to help with the ARV meaning the value at the end of the project because it will have a whole brand new inside all the major systems are going to be updated and all the stuff that we had talked about last time with all the renovations we'll be doing in addition to a brand new septic system which is a big deal right so this will be a great thing uh, for the future buyer and it's going to be a great thing for us and make it easier for us to sell this project. And because we were able to come to an agreement, that's where we were at. Um, and other news, of course, I've been out there doing my drywall thing. Nothing really new there. A couple days a week, slamming it out, making my money, paying my bills. And then we're spending time uh, busting butt trying to <laughs> go on the roller coaster ride of negotiating this upcoming deal, but also finishing up our most recent remodel with the intent of getting it onto the Airbnb market. Uh, so we got the, the exterior paint was done, the backsplash was done. Um, we got all of our final inspections completed, uh, so we're waiting at this point. Coming up now on Friday, we'll have our building 
uh, final, which if all that goes well, then we'll have this permit closed out and we can start moving into the direction of getting, uh, you know, some furnishings and things like that in there. So I'll make sure that I throw up a couple of pictures so you can see what that looks like once it gets done. Um, and of course, my beautiful bride and I celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary, which was super fun. Uh, we took a couple days and we went up to this place called Mackinac Island uh, up in Michigan and we stayed at the Grand Hotel. And let me tell you what, man, if you ever had the opportunity to go there, you got to take it because it was a truly phenomenal time go check that out so anyway that's uh that's what i've been up to keep trucking along and so you know make sure you're following us on all the socials you can kind of see what we're doing a little bit more closely that way but uh hopefully that kind of helps you see uh, this is a crazy and wild ride but you got to hang in there for the ride because sometimes it's fun sometimes it's stressful but this is what you got to do if you want to go out there and become successful all right, my friends. Well, that's the end of the show today. I so appreciate you being here again. Shout out to the uh, the the OF, the original fifty <laughs> out there. I appreciate you being here. Make sure you're sharing the podcast. Let people know about it. Like, subscribe, follow on I, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're consuming this thing, and uh, help me get the word out. Make sure you come join us on all of the socials. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, pretty much everywhere at Blue Collar Blueprint. If you have a question for the mailbag or if you have a suggestion for a possible guest that we can do an interview with for the show, come swing over to bluecollarblueprint.com, click on the mailbag section and you can send a message to me there. If you ask a good question uh, like Zach and Drew did today, I'll try to give you my best advice and give you some live coaching here on the show. Again, as always, I hope I'm giving you a lot of value. I hope you're getting a lot out of the show, and I certainly enjoy uh, having the opportunity to talk to you. So thanks for being out there, guys. I'll be here next week. I'll see you next Monday right around 9 o'clock when we release our next episode. Until then, get out there and get to work. We'll see you next time. I'm Jonah Wright with the Blue Collar Blueprint. Simper Fix. Simper <laughs> Fix.